Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lorena Torres, Sophia Nymphius, and Brian Geraghty. Thanks for tuning in to episode 302 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So following on from the last two episodes, actually, we've got another round table featuring Lorena Torres, who is Director of Performance at the Philadelphia 76ers. We've got Sophia Nymphius, who's Professor Sophia Nymphius at Edith Cowan University. And we've got Brian Geraghty, who is Director of Online Sports Degrees at the University of Denver. So a really interesting mix, a really great group of, of guys who... Uh, kindly agreed to join me for this episode of the podcast. So again, much like last week, a slightly different perspective on where we are at as an industry. So last week was the player's perspective. This week, we get this perspective of these guys talking about barriers for female strength and conditioning coaches getting into the industry and staying in the industry. So I know it's very much on topic to talk about this, but believe me, it's been, I've tried to get something going like this for a a couple of months now and again believe me it's not been easy to get Brian who's in Denver, Lorena who's in Philadelphia and Sophia who's in Perth Australia onto the same call but Brian got up at five, Lorena stayed up and and gave away some of her evening and, and me and Lorena kind of met somewhere in the middle so a big thanks to these guys for making it happen. So this is a really interesting subject and I think something that definitely needs to be highlighted more and just give the real stories which is what Lorena and Sophia do in this episode so for me personally it was very enlightening and it was definitely a place for me just to sit back and take it in and understand and be educated from especially Sophia and Lorena for what they've gone through within this industry as females so i hope you find it it, it, as as interesting as i did um i think it's like i say something that needs to be spoken about more and hopefully this plays its part in uh, identifying the things that these guys have gone through within our industry so over to brian lorena and sophia this episode of the pacey performance podcast is sponsored by hawking dynamics the world's first wireless force plate testing system so the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, and you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running-based sports. 
So iMeasure have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Brian, Lorena, and Sophia. Thanks for tuning into the Pace Performance Podcast it's this morning for Brian, evening for Sophia, and morning for Lorena. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you all. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Sorry, it's I've fluffed around a bit, Brian. I know you're uh, three coffees, three coffees deep at five. 21 in the morning but um we've got a big question i think it's very timely given what's going on but definitely what's going on in our industry the last couple of days although this is going out in a couple of weeks so it probably won't make sense by then but um barriers to females getting into strength and conditioning and answering that that big question of of, of why that's not the case and why it may be hard for females to get into strength and conditioning and even stay in strength and conditioning so we've got a interesting next hour um, I'm really interested in, in, in that question and getting you guys to answer it. So without any more fluff, I'm going to come to you, Brian, for a quick introduction, um, just what you've done, what you're currently doing, and uh, then we'll just move around from left to right. So I'll come to Sophia after Brian. Uh, there's a certain irony about coming to the only male, other male in the conversation to to begin to introduction. Oh, God, no. so, Brian, you got me. Appreciate you walking into that one. <laughs> Um, off the back of that, um, nice, uh, observation, let's, uh, let's bring up the issue of timing that came up too. And unfortunately this has always been an issue. It's not a new issue. It's not a, it is a more timely issue, but it's not like, you know, it's been a problem that we've just identified. Uh, and, and I'm, I think as the discussion today unfolds, we'll get to kind of some of the roots of why this happened and how it happened and what we might do about it, including this podcast too, right? Like identifying and actually um, talking about it and speaking out about it and then trying to get to more structural change and doing some things differently. So on those two notes, uh, yeah, I'm Dr. Brian Garrity, uh, director of and professor, associate professor at the University of Denver in our sport programs. Uh, I was a strength conditioning coach for about 12 years uh, with the Cleveland Indians baseball team, uh, University of Tennessee, High school down in Mississippi, uh, and I've coached youth sports. I uh, was high school football coach down there too, and and uh, teach do social science research, and uh, NSCA fellow and and author and that kind of stuff. So thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks for coming, mate, and getting up early. Sophia, next. Yeah. You're up next. No worries. I just please bring up Brian's backdrop. Over to you, Sophia. Oh, I can't. It's it's nice. It's well planned. It it's coordinated with a shirt. I can't beat that. So um, thanks for showing me up, right? Um, so my name is Sophia Nymphius. I am a professor at Edith Cowan University, um, professor of human performance. So that's, that's my day job. And uh, then the afternoon and night job is I manage high performance services for softball Western Australia. 
Um, before that, I have um, been at Edith Cowan for 10 years, and I was at a couple other universities before, in and out of academia. I've worked for Surfing Australia and do work for Softball Australia, which some of our Softball Australia athletes are here in WA. Um, prior to that, I was a strength coach in the NCAA system and an assistant softball coach, actually, too, in my former life when I lived in America, but I've been in Australia for 16 years now, so so I am a dual citizen, and um, that always has, uh, I guess it'll come out in this podcast, maybe, but stepping away from America and having a look from the outside, looking back in, has um, explained a lot of my chosen behaviors um, over the time, and, and, and even reflecting that I've, I've changed the way I behave because of the topic that we're going to talk about, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, actually. So, off to you, Lorena. Okay. Okay. Looking forward to that. How was you, Lorena? Hi, Lorena here, Spaniard. Uh, apologize for the accent. <laughs> um, I apologize. Um, I'm the performance director of an NBA team, the 76ers. Um, basketball, before that, I was with the San Antonio Spurs NBA team, too. Um, before that, um, the last... 20 years of my life, I've been a strength coach, sports scientist. That's my background, uh, working with Olympic sports, tennis, uh, swimming, synchronized swimming. I've been with golfers too. Um, I've always tried to have a, like a foot on the academia. So work as a professor, uh, doing research, research with international colleagues. Um, so that's my background. Um, apply sports scientist, strength coach, research, pro sports, that's what I do. Awesome. Thank you very much to all of you. Um, before we go, before we get going, anyone that wants to jump in while someone else is talking, feel free. It doesn't have to come back to me just, just to put it out there. Um, so comes to you first, Sophia. The current state of play, where are we in this big topic of the barriers for females getting into strength and conditioning and staying in strength and conditioning? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's probably pretty tough just to talk about women that are in strength and conditioning without kind of, you start to blend in women just in coaching or, or, or high performance kind of positions. But I guess our current play is that for the, if you just broadly quickly look at the people that are playing sport, and particularly when we um, reflect on um, even the NCAA system, which is a, a primary employer for a lot of uh, strength conditioning coaches. That's why I do go back to that. But of course, there's strength conditioning positions all across the world. Without any doubt, there's a massive disparity between the people who play these sports and the people who are coaching these athletes as far as the gender goes. So the representation. Um, and um, that, that varies from from sport to sport. But then when you dig even further, um, Lorena being an exception, the percentage of women that happen to coach um, our strength conditioning coaches and or coaches and or high performance staff in men's sport is almost unheard of. The percentages are less than 1%. However, it's the flip for women's sport, whereas a majority of the strength and conditioning and or high performance staff and or head coaches are actually men coaching women. 
So it's a curious uh, um, thing. Well, it's not curious. It's it's a problem because it's not representative. And if it's not representative, we are more than likely missing a lot of talent that is out there ready to be in these positions. And that's what it's really about. And, and that's what our current state of play is, is we're not representative and we're definitively overlooking a lot of talent as a result. Just coming to you, Brian, from a, from a wider perspective, and I know we've kind of transitioned from a strength and conditioning discussion to a just a sports coaching discussion, but even potentially even wider than that, where are we? Where, what's the state of play on the, in this wider sport, even even potentially wider than that society? Yeah, uh, it's I, you know, uh, so there's a, there's always the equality argument. So theoretically, or in the research, right, we we say there's an equality argument or a representational argument that um, there's not equal representation of athletes. You know, the the gender, racial, etc. Kind of um, participants, athletes, right, don't match the um, same number of coaches. So while at least in the U.S., women and girls and women as athletes in schools, high schools, uh, youth sports and professionals or collegiate sports has grown exponentially, uh, mostly due to Title IX and equality legislation, you know, laws being passed here, that the coaching opportunities and the athletic director and administration opportunities have decreased massively. Uh, women's sports, you know, back in the pre-70s, pre-Title IX, uh, had a separate organization where they had more power and they ran the organization. Uh, when the NCAA and basically men kind of took it in, eventually you saw the decline of the, the woman coach and administrator. Um, and then uh, you see this in strength conditioning as well. Uh, so there's the, real quick before we move on, there's the equality argument there, but there's also more of a, of a critical discriminatory um, argument in terms of it's not just that we need equal representation or the loss of talent, but uh, there are different social effects and impacts and outcomes from this landscape. And as things change, right, the outcomes change. Just like, you know, if you take strength training, you can use that, right? If you do five reps compared to 20 reps, you get different outcomes, different adaptations. It's the same thing, right? As society changes, as people change, uh, and I don't mean in an evolutionary sense, but in a, a social sense, then you'll have different outcomes. So right now, uh, overwhelmingly kind of consensus is that there are uh, conscious and unconscious ways that um, women, people of color, uh, black coaches is another kind of representational uh, inequality, that there are things going on deliberately uh, and, and, and structurally that keep people in marginalized, less powerful positions. And so uh, we need to rectify that from a justice perspective as well. That's not a fair thing. That's not also a caring thing to do to people uh, when they want to participate, when they want opportunities, and there are things in place to keep them behind. Uh, so there's things like that. Um, yeah. So I don't want to just educate educate me a little bit on that Title Nine. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. For so internationally, Title Nine was probably the it's a piece of legislation that basically says you cannot discriminate if you receive federal so government funding in the U.S. And one of the strands of that trickled down into sports because schools, uh, K-12, so kindergarten, five, six-year-olds, all the way up to high school age, which is here, 17 to 19-year-olds, and then college, um, public and private universities that receive federal funding, 
they're not allowed. They have to offer the same opportunities or equal opportunities. So there's different prongs within that. And it gets a little bit kind of sticky. Um, so for example, what you hear right now, actually with COVID going on and the financial crisis and recession is they're cutting a lot of collegiate sports. And when they cut sports, they can't just cut arbitrarily women's sports anymore. Whereas they would, quite frankly, a lot of schools would probably love to, uh, and they would see it as a revenue loss, and then they would blame, you know, the revenue, and they would use the economic argument to say that. Well, the reality is that's not that one. That's not true. Um, it, it's they're not huge money losers. You can still offer sports, and every ninety nine percent of all universities in the U.S. lose money. It's just a matter of how much money do they lose, um, and so the argument doesn't hold water. But uh, that's one of the things that Title IX helps prevent is the arbitrary sexist uh, elimination of women's sports and then offering equal opportunities. You have to have one of the measures that they use is actually participation rates. Um, but I, right, we don't do that with coaches and administration. We just do that with the athletes. And so that's how we end up with overrepresentation of um, men and white men as coaches and doing podcasts and guests on podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely killing it, <laughs> killing me. Over to you, Lorraine. I'd like to get a bit of a, a personal perspective, if possible, um, and just any any experiences that you've had, like Sophia said, um, apart from you working the the kind of position that you do as a female in male sports. What's that journey been like? Is there any experience that you've had which feeds into what both Sophia and Brian have have said? Yeah, and to your first question, um, we're talking about this now. But I've experienced that in my personally since 20 years ago. So it's nothing, it's not that it's new. We are aware now. Probably the women like Sophia or I, that we've been doing it for years, we are talking about it now, but it's a, it has been my whole life. So personally, uh, I knew I wanted to be a strength coach and I wanted to work with the best possible athletes in my country. So that include wo- uh, women and men. Um, and what I experience is a completely lack of support from the people that is hiring and the people that makes the decision when they have to co- put together a staff. So I was lucky because I had good mentors that put me in positions that I was able to learn and prove. My whole life has been about proving I'm good. I can be good at this. And um, you need somebody giving you that opportunity the same way that now an MBA team gave me the opportunity. Um, so the feeling of, I have to prove that I'm better than these, 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 and that man, just because I'm, it's, it's not, I'm not a feminist. It's just like, I'm good. Why do, why do, can I have an opportunity? But at some point in my career, I was in one of the best professional clubs, teams, organizations in my country. And I was with the Academy and, you know, I wanted to, like, improve, get better with, with the senior teams. And I was told, you're never going to be with a senior team because you're a woman. And they want, you can be with them because you are a woman. I've been told this. And I left one of the best teams in my country because I thought it's completely unfair. And um, that's the type of experiences that I had during my life, like having to fight for things that... I've been told you're not gonna go, you're not gonna get to the highest level because you are a woman and quit. And because of that, I think a lot of women just 
stop trying. It was never the right time to have kids. It was never the right time because if I stop, I'm going to get out of the loop. So I have to sacrifice a lot of things to be where I am now. And hopefully that helps other women to, you know, have the opportunity to get those jobs and still have a family and still stay in their country and um, things like that. I don't regret anything. I'm doing what I want. And sometimes I think I've been seeing like ambitious. I don't know why, because I can guarantee you that there are more ambitious men than I am. Um, but just because you want to fight for things and equality as we're talking today here. Does that mirror your experiences, Sophia? Listen, I'm just going to nod my head. It hurts me. It like, like you can feel, you'll get like, you can feel someone like the empathy there is just like, I can't even talk about it. It's, it's really hard to listen almost. It's easier when it's your own story because you found a way to, to reckon it and, and, and to, um, be, I guess, okay with it. Cause if you weren't okay with it, um, finding a way to be okay with your story, you would leave. And, and, and this is part of that. And, um, you know, to talk about what, what both Lorena and, and Brian have said is, is, is the funny thing is they're talking about these two different things, like colliding. You've got societal and organizational problems. You've got major societal and organizational problems. And then you've got personal and interactional problems from a, from your own. Like you have to not just be good, but you have to constantly defend yourself and you have to constantly be on your toes. And when you walk in a room, the assumption is you're not good. And then you have to fight from the assumption of not good to get a almost backhanded compliment of, wow, you really surprised me. You know your stuff. And you know how many people say that and they think they're being genuinely supportive. It is like, I rather you just be an asshole and say, there was no way I would have previously listened to you. Just say that. Don't give me the backhanded compliment of, oh, he surprised me. Well, what was fucking surprising about it? I have no idea. And like, that's, that's, the, that's the personal and like, the, this is clearly my emotional side. But then the other side of it is I sit back and I look and I, I see all of the things we're doing and, and um, you know, we want other women to be out there so that you, you can see it and you, you can be inspired. But we end there. Like people are like, okay, look at this inspirational story. And you know what we're not doing? Taking responsibility that these organizations have created a system, in, in, including the system that society has created they created a system that has perpetuated these biases, but their solution is to fix the women. Well, that's a load of bullshit. <laughs> and so 90% of the times we get on these talks and everyone's like, well, can we start a women's group? Listen, this is not to say we shouldn't, but could you stop trying to fix me and start trying to fix you? Start trying to fix the system we're sitting in and I have to fight every day on top of, yes, every sacrifice that we've had and on top of being fucking fantastic. You can't even be just adequate at your job. You have to be fantastic. Do you know how exhausting that is? Well, if you don't, let me tell you, it is exhausting. And so when I when I hear you speak, Lorena, like I... I, I, I should say a couple of things in Spanish so that we don't 
you know, so that we only offend like a couple of the people in our community, but like, I get it. And, um, and what happens is, is you have to reach out, (laughs) you have to reach out. And there are days that I, I swear to you, I have messaged Brian and just ranted just because I wanted someone to listen, uh, so that I don't quit. So that's our problem. It's not women aren't our problem. The systems are problem. So I think even the way we phrase it is a problem. Just to confirm, swearing is okay. Mm. I'm glad you've taken that answer first. So that's fine. I'm just confirming that everyone else get involved. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, as a as a professor, by the way, too, like full time prof now, like I actually worry about swearing. It's weird, like in, in higher ed, because if I acted like I coach my teaching evaluations and the committees that evaluate me actually say I'm basically too abrasive, too aggressive. And the students too are like, you should be more professorial. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm still a coach and I still have been socialized in coaching and take on those roles. So it's, it's a different kind of scenario. Um, well, I don't. Okay. And, uh, I'm curious to, Sophia, you, you, I've been working with male my whole life. It's not that I'm a woman working with female sports. I'm a woman working with male sports my whole life. Basketball, tennis, golf, like whatever I work with. Um, and sometimes you could think, because I've been told this, well, you're a woman working with adult men, that can be a problem if you don't behave like, like you know, men and men, they're not going to have the female attraction issue. And I've never had an issue with that. So the athletes that could potentially could be the thing that you want to protect, like having female around them, um, I mean, if you are a professional, I'm not saying all the women are going to be good. The same way that all, not all the men are going to be professional. Um, have you, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's another thing that always in my whole life have, I don't know the word in English, but um, frustrated me. It's like, you, you're wrong. Like, your first statement is wrong with me. The way I act with the players, the way I, I interact with male, like I've never flattering, like I'm a professional above anything. So do, any comments on that? Um, yeah, I've worked early in my career. I had mostly men's teams. And um, now now I work with a women's team primarily, but um, we have at our, at our facility, we have both, but early in my career was always men's teams. And this, this opens up a whole nother kettle of just a can of worms. And I'm sure maybe Brian, Brian would be interesting is that. So there's a couple of things. Um, I haven't had that. I haven't had that same issue to the same degree because everyone assumed I was a lesbian already. I happen to be, <laughs> but there was already the assumption so it was almost an ironic protector that when I was working with the men's team, then, oh, well, maybe we don't have to worry about that so much, right? Which, um, just listening to you, that wasn't the assumption, and therefore they assumed all these other things instead, right? So, oh, we'll call me lucky <laughs> that I didn't have to deal with that. I just had to deal with the traditional homophobia that comes around. Um, but in that case, like working with the men's teams for that reason, 
before and no one asked me. They just assumed. So that's another problem. But um, I didn't have people say that was the reason why it wasn't okay. Um, but uh, my wife has left strength and conditioning, left it, um, let's see, when we, 15 years ago now, because of that experience. And, um, you know, I've listened to her story and you know what, she, she's a great coach. And now she's doing great things, probably better things than all of us in public health. But I've heard the story and just because I haven't lived the story, it doesn't mean I don't know that's true. And, um, and, and, and this is the irony is because they assumed she was not a lesbian because of the way she looked, right? So judging just another way we judge a whole bunch of people based on their appearances and um, and it, it infuriates me, you know? Um, and I wouldn't even want to be in that scenario because I already know what my scenario feels like. So then that's just like this other layer when you're working with a men's team. And, and this was in the US in American football. She was a strength coach in a collegiate double, NCAA division one. And yes, oh, don't wear those pants because they're too tight and uh, you know, the, the athletes might get distracted. Distracted? That man's got 500 pounds on his back. He better not get distracted by the tightness of my pants. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> so uh, it, it, it all sounds ridiculous, right? And it should, but it's not. It's real and it happens every day. I don't know, Brian? Brian? So Brian's just being quiet for intentionally <laughs> trying to be quiet. Uh, I have seen sport games. It's funny. I've seen football and, and basketball games come to a screeching halt because an attractive woman goes by and everybody just immediately stops drop, drop, you know, dribbling the ball or uh, the running back will stop and just kind of, you know, cause they obviously can't control themselves. There's no attentional focus. Uh, and then somebody has to give them a cue to keep, hey, keep on running, keep on running. You know, <laughs> uh, it's absurd. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, I wrote down like 10 things. Uh, I'm mindful that I don't want to talk all the time. Uh, I want to affirm that everything you guys have just said touches on the literature in, you know, gender, sexuality, intersectionality, race, that there's so many things to unpack right there. Uh, I'm I'm like overwhelmed which way to go. I've heard those stories. I've I've done it, you know, interviews with collegiate women strength coaches. My, my wife was a strength coach, and she got out for very similar reasons. Um, I want to I want to so I want to thank you both for sharing that and affirm that. I think it reflects uh, a few things that one, you know, men need to listen. And my comparison to the women's group is there needs to be like a uh, men's group that also helps men realize these things exist, you know, and we usually have, maybe there's a diversity and inclusivity group, but if you look to at the makeup of those groups, it's often people that are committed to this work already. It's not the people that are um, unaware of, or maybe not working towards these things. So women's groups are very good for, and very good support and, and provide a needed voice, but it's the rest of the damn organization and people and, and, and larger society that need to change too. Um, so the idea that you would do a women's group or a DNI committee and, and just kind of like check the box right now, I think 
that's what a lot of folks are worried about right now. And in our current time is that we're just checking the box, you know? So, right, Rob, I mean, and not to call you out, but all the podcasters, there's another one that I know, you know, uh, kind of well-known, you know, figure so-called in the field. How many race, gender, sexuality, social issues, et cetera, specifically, or, or intersectional, right? The intersection of sports science. How much are you spending on that kind of stuff in the grand scheme of things? Similarly, like if you look at news reports and it could be on the internet or social media or print media nowadays too, a little bit, how much time do they spend promoting and discussing women's sports, women coaches? Not much. Right. And now we're doing it. Oh, now you're woke. Good. Yeah. It's good to see you jumping on a bandwagon now, but are you committed to doing this over time? Are you really going to learn it and do it and, and be invested in it? You know, read it, research it, think about it and change something. Um, the, the one of the one, last point, and there's really, there's like, I can keep, we'll see how much I can get back to, uh, man, like <laughs> this is like when I hear these narratives and it, it, I, I want to jump in and help and support and use the literature that I, I, I'm, I'm drawing upon all those great scholars before me as well. And it's not like I invented it, but uh, it, 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 if you are aware of this kind of stuff, it can change who you are and uh, help other people. But the, the point that I want to say before moving out, you can see I start muttering like a, a, a bumbling idiot because I, there's so much I want to add now. Uh, Men don't have to prove themselves like Lorena and Sophia talked about. Okay. When I go into the gym and, and I, that's one kind of key thing. I don't, I've never thought about my gender or my sexuality or my race for that matter as a white man uh, or my nationality as an American, because all these things give me privilege. That's all pri- you know, privilege is an unearned asset. I don't worry about these things because they're assumed to be normal, good, and the ideal. So I don't worry about it. Right. I've never had to worry about them. I don't see them. I don't they, nobody ever said, you know, Brian, your shorts are too short, you know, unless they were like making fun of you because you look kind of nerdy. Um, but like people don't do that. Right. And I don't worry about that thing. And once you end up having two, right. And you look at who you have on your podcast, you have two massively successful, overqualified, resilient, strong women on your podcast right now. And that's the cream of the crop for like any field. And that's who has had to endure and uh, survive in our field. And it's unfortunate because you do lose a lot of talent and you perpetuate stereotypes and you harm people by not letting them be more free, by not letting them and helping them be more creative and live a more fulfilling life. When you have a, uh, if you use the, the old cartoon of the um, anvil, right? If you have an anvil on your back, you know, if you if you're just constantly weighted down, are you really living your best life? So I like to make the kind of freedom and empowerment argument too. Like we could be, you know, helping kind of support and pull people up a little bit and remove some of these barriers or the glass ceiling. Uh, and that's kind of what uh, you know informs kind of my work uh, too. So happy to keep going, but I, I I do want to shut up and and hear from everybody and. Brian, uh, you um, (laughs) you have some good analogies, and um, I think I really value, because Brian, Brian obviously researches, um, he he does a lot of qualitative research, and, um, you know, I'm a a quantitative researcher, I just happen to have a lot of lived experience, and then 
And then I do value reading and learning more on the, on the side because it's important. And, and just because I have a certain lived experience doesn't mean that I know everything. And so if I'm not reading outside other people's perspectives from the research, then I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm asking others to do either. So, um, but I think, you know, I mentioned at the start, I would get into, um, changing, changing who I was. And I don't think it was for the better. Um, you know, I, I haven't really talked about this a lot, but you know, I, I moved to Australia in 2004 to seek opportunity that I wasn't getting that I, I couldn't, I wasn't getting it. And, um, really, really, really young. I identified a couple things and it's really hard to reflect as a child that you could pick this up, know it and change yourself because you know, it's going to hurt you. And when I was really, really, my mom's Puerto Rican. And when we would go out and she would speak, people would not listen to her. They would overlook her. They would, they would ignore her. They would make assumptions. They would follow us around in the store. Uh, my mom's mixed. So she's half African-American, half Puerto Rican, but we're, we're Puerto Rican. We're, we are Puerto Rican. That's our ethnicity. We live it. That's the food we cook, you know? And I knew really quickly that in where I lived when I was living in the U S we just, we had something about you. You know, if you're, you're Hispanic or, or if you want to say Latinx, it just wasn't there. Now this was at that time, you know, this is the early eighties. It's, it's, maybe different. I don't know. I just watched a whole lot that indicates it's not different, <laughs> but, um, I changed my accent, my mom's accent, Lorena, to be honest. I mean, I know Espana, but I mean, she's Puerto Rican. She, her, when she speaks English, you can still hear her speaking Spanish, right? Like that, that's characteristic. Um, and I love that. And I, I left that, I left that at the door. And when I went to school, I intended to have as neutral as an American can have <laughs> accent so that I could be listened to. And that's horrible. And, and when I moved to Australia, one of the things I noted was pe people didn't know I was Latin anymore. So they treated me without that, without the, all the baggage that came with that. And I can't tell you, but that was like the most freeing and disturbing moment of my entire life. Now, I didn't get to leave other things behind, but I got to leave that for a little bit. And then I realized I was forgetting who I was. And that was, I had to unpack that and come back to that. And that just put a whole bunch of baggage back on my back. And so, you know, I, I'm so proud when I see Lorena, you, going and succeeding in a, in a, in a country that I, I had to say, I'll see you later. I'm still waiting for the later, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I, it was just, it, those, those realizations hurt and they tear at you and they weigh you down and, and you think, why the, am I doing this? And they're real. And so, the experiences are different when it comes to race or it comes to gender, or it comes to your sexuality, but there's so many parallels. And so that's why, I, you know, 
I know this is about more about women in coaching, but you happen to invite people that are intersectional in lots of different ways, intentional or unintentional. And I can't just compartmentalize my women part of me and then compart over here. I got, you know, when it comes to the, diver oh, the checkbox is my favorite. I always say, you should hire me. You're into checking boxes. I got like at least three. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say it jokingly, but if you've never watched the comedy skit, Nanette, um, which is that there's an Australian, uh, um, Hannah Gadsby, uh, she does a, a comedy skit about making fun of yourself and how like it's great for comedy, but it's actually a really damaging thing. Um, you should watch that and you'll, you'll get why, like, I'll make that joke. And at the same time I kick myself, like, why do I have to joke about it? It's a little bit funny. It's not funny. But then if you've made it to here, I'll tell you what you've done a lot. And I don't know, everybody else maybe, but if you don't laugh, you'll just cry your eyes out, period. So you learn to make these jokes and these internal dialogues because you know what? They are ridiculous. You have to start laughing at yourself because otherwise you'd be like, nope, I could do business. Business sounds good. How about business? <laughs> and probably make more money. Yeah. Just tap, tap, tap. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Lorena, Sophia and Brian. So over in part two, we discuss more around getting females into leadership positions to potentially offset some of the issues that we are seeing and we're hearing in part one from Lorena and Sophia. Then we finish off with the way forward, which is obviously a difficult thing to, to talk about, but I think there were certain things in this episode that are obvious in terms of an education piece and just actually sitting back, speaking to females in the, within the industry and just listening, which I think is a, a really good way which, which we finish off um, with these guys. So I hope you enjoyed part two, very, very insightful. Sorry, I hope you enjoyed part one, very, very insightful part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organisations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position, 
and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They're also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. Lorena, just coming to you, obviously, Sophia went from the US to Australia. You came from Spain to the US. How was that? How was that for you with all the, obviously, encompassing everything we've talked about? Well, it's funny because it's the same feeling. You have to leave your country. You, you've not, like, I wasn't, I was valuing my country. I, I'm not saying that. I think people, the people that value me, they, they told me and I was happy with that. The problem, the issue was related to that is um, they, I had to have three jobs at the same time to be able to pay bills. So that was the issue. It doesn't like inequality is not only about the lack of opportunity, it's about what they pay you because you are a woman. And that happens, I think that happens today too, or has been happening even in the States. Like for the same job that other males are doing, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, I'm getting less pay. So it was, in my case, it was a combination. Like I have to leave my country because I can't, like, again, it was never the right time to have kids because I, if I wanted to be in pro sports on the highest level, I had to have three jobs, the university, the research, the pro sports um so coming here the good thing was i can only have one job i can focus on my staff i can try to be the best at this um so that what for me was good the the um economical uh balance i guess or opportunity um it was good because i think i've been very lucky to be in the, the two places where I've been in the States had a very progressive organizations. And um, everybody knows the Spurs has Becky Hammond, first uh, women coach uh, in the NBA. Um, the, we, we were more than one woman. So like myself, like the, the environment was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't easy with some of my peers. Um, but coming here for me was kind of a release for different things uh, the the organization that i'm now um i don't know i probably you don't follow them but they are a very progressive organization they are very committed with social injustice like we have a group of players that are amazing about that and supportive and um for me coming here sophia i'm sorry um was a good thing uh but it's the same feeling that you had i have to leave my country to go for better whatever that better means for you or me or people that has to move um, outside the country to get a better opportunity. So I, I'm going to come back to you. Can I just, oh, go well, I just want to point out a little, a little fun fact here, a uh, detour that uh, Greg Popovich uh, earned his master's degree from the University of Denver. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually like the few like I'm, I'm not a sport fan i'm not a consumer of sport i don't watch sports believe it or not um i coach it and and, and study it but uh pop is one of the and, and is is like you know the one coach i would love to interview 
and go visit and see the staff and the organization because they they seem to do a lot of good things. And obviously, I don't work on the inside, but Pop seems pretty dang frank and blunt about his approach. Uh, seems to do some things that are a little bit different, and he's so successful. This is the other thing too. For you know, as we're talking about women coaches, only those that really have a lot of power, success or security or nothing else to lose are the ones that kind of usually speak out. And it's the other ones that are, are teetering or are scared or building their careers or don't want to offend their fan base. They don't do things like that because they, they, they have, they perceive more to risk. And I think that's a really kind of sad state, but it also shows the lack of courage on, on that side compared to the people that have had to endure, uh, what we what we talked about what the the theoretical term popular right now is microaggressions. You know when somebody makes fun or you know either makes fun of you subtly or jokes about something or gives you a, a backhanded compliment. Oh wow, you're really good. I didn't expect that. Or wow, like you speak good English too. Like those are all kind of subtle microaggressions, and they've been um, the metaphor related to that is you know death by a thousand cuts. And again, I've, you know, if you, if you just stop and listen to and, and have the, you know, a sense of that this happens, you know, hopefully you can develop some empathy and be more supportive and be an ally to, to one, stop it if you're doing it yourself, you know, engage in some actual deep reflection and, and self-analysis, but then, you know, set a guideline and a bar for the staff, for the organization, you know, for anybody that's there, that this stuff is just not going to be tolerated. Uh, and here's why. And it's part of our plan. Uh, and doing that kind of stuff. And, and too often it, we don't know about it, we're not aware about it, or it slips by. Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be that way. Sticking stick with you, Brian. Yeah. How can we ensure that there's more Lorenas in them director of performance leadership positions in sport and organization. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the quick solution. And this is where I, Sophia, I love to be a, you know, an experimental scientist and be like, Oh, well, I mean, really, if you just do, uh, you know, this joint angle and you do this many volume of sets at this heart rate, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Duck, you know, solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, Let's use one. Like I'll tie it back in sneakily. I'll sneak back in emotions and the and the quantitative qualitative science debate. Um, emotions look at. We tend to think of emotions, especially in scientific circles, as bad. You know, or, or right if they're bad, they're, we associate them with women's uh, emotions. Right, uh, women are emotional, and that's bad. Meanwhile, men are jumping up and down like lunatics, you know, and screaming and yelling, and they're you know berating people, and that's somehow passionate. And you know the, the Pointing these inconsistencies out is really kind of hopefully important to jarring people's reality and seeing things that are there that they just haven't seen yet. Um, but look at that qualitative, quantitative uh, divide in science. If you look at curriculums at the university level, how many undergraduate students are taught qualitative research, emotions, and you know psychosocial aspects in sports science? Look at the term, right? Sports science, I feel, doesn't include, you know, People like me, scholars like me. Sports science means Lorraine and Sophia, which is great. Uh, but the, the curriculum itself is clinical, exercise, sport, biology, physiology, you know, biomechanics, measurement, quantify everything, show me the facts, show me the stats, you know, make it re- repeatable. I, wait a minute. As a social scientist, I'm not trying to re- repeat or replicate uh, inequalities, 
I'm trying to kind of do something about it, right? And then and, and fix it and change it. Uh, so one is right, a very simple, a simple one, but it's such a hard one because it's so entrenched in so many structures is your curriculum, right? I mean, what happens in the field of strength conditioning, and, and it looks like it's going to happen pretty soon. So there's, there was a paper that we're going to have hopefully accepted here any day now on in strength conditioning journal about the lack of psychosocial aspects in the field of strength conditioning. So a very quick history about that, right? You look at the founding of the NSCA and then different organizations, the curriculum, the certification does not talk about anything that we're talking about. Um, and so the aspects of psychosocial or organizational, administrative, leadership, ethics, we don't even have an ethics requirement for the NSCA's new accreditation thing and certification. There's no ethics. There's no training. It's like you learned it on your own. Right? You've got to be tested on exercise physiology, biomechanics, and this, but there's no, well, that stuff's too soft or it's, you know, it's, it's qualitative. It's, you know, I, mean, I mean, it's ludicrous to say those arguments, but that's what happens. So we've got to change the curriculums. You've got to change the certification. You've got to change the professional development. Um, the other thing, too, to touch on where is, is multi-level change. You know, so we, we, in, the, in book chapter, and then there's a, a professor at Texas named George Cunningham who's written about a multi-level uh, organizational change, and it comes from organizational change, behavior theory. Um, and, and this is where it's hard because even people on the anti-racism or the anti-sexism research world, it's popular right now. Okay, so if you go on Twitter, like the book, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist is popular right now. White Fragility is popular right now. Uh, before, nobody was paying attention to them very much. There's a there's a variety of resources already like this. Okay. It's been out for years, but, uh, those folks too debate themselves. It's really high level debates. It'd be like the same thing in strength conditioning, you know, that there's periodization debates, you know, what's really the evidence for periodization and, you know, how do you really program? Is it, is it a macro kind of theory? Does it take into account the, the everyday fluctuations and how, right? Nobody periodized for COVID. Uh, and, and distance training. So you kind of have these really high level uh, theoretical scientific debates going on. If the, we, have to, we also have to, I think, to hone that back in. Let's let go of some things and, and get away from the paralysis by analysis to say, all right, as an individual, as a team or organization, and then as a community or society, here are some things that we can start to do. I can start to stop and think about these things. I can read some things. I can listen. I can ask questions. I don't know how you, right? It, it should tell you something too. If you're listening to this podcast or you know somebody that maybe needs to engage in this reflection, how do you listen to the narratives that we've already heard and not stop and realize, man, people are hurting. And, and my role in that is to help alleviate some of that hurt, that pain and suffering. And, and, and that alone, when you hear people start to kind of, you know, get emotional and tear up and really, you know, their lives are harmed. And, they're, you know, and again, it's this divide of personal and professional lives. Like we can somehow divide that, you know, and people have tried to do that for years, too. And it's again, it's just not a great idea where we, we are not divide. We can't divide ourselves, get away from that. We are people that have all of these things. So I, I, anyway, the point was that if you listen to these narratives and these stories and actually stop and 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 accept it, right? Don't fight it, right? And don't feel, the first step is you feel guilty about it or you're like, well, that's not me or I, you know, I, 
uh, I, I'm not like that. And you get defensive. Just get past that initial kind of hurdle and just start going, man, what do I feel right now for these people? And how can I support? How can I get out of the way? How can I be committed to learning and changing those small things? You know, and I often feel the same thing in my students right now too. Like we do, we're doing research studies on this stuff and, you know, I try to publish and I just can't even write enough. That's why I like to do podcasts because it's, it's quicker medium. I can't write enough. Like I'm, I'm sitting on a paper about gender and coaching identities with collegiate women's strength coaches in the U.S. because I just can't get through all the papers and the writing fast enough. Damn qualitative takes me forever. Uh, so I, I get distracted because I, I'm getting disjointed with all things. But again, for me too, like stop and listen to the empathy. You know, I, I and when you read like feminist theory too, like Lorraine said it, and I've heard this, a lot of women too get defensive about feminism. Most men say, I'm not, you know, I'm not feminist. But there's women that too get defensive about feminism. I, I would say, no, I am a feminist. And, and in a sense of all that means is I support women. What's wrong with that? You know, it's like saying I'm, I'm anti-racist. How hard is it to say? I think white supremacy or the belief that white people are somehow inherently better than other people is wrong. That's not, a, I mean, that we have this debate is, is really kind of like, wow. Like, sexism is bad. Homophobia is bad. All right, good. Let me, let me learn that. Why didn't I get exposed to this in my childhood or my education? In, in powerful socialization experiences, why did I have these beliefs? What can I do it about myself? And then take me up a level to the different folks and groups and this and that. And it's hard because the world is complex. And I tell our students, you guys have to be careful because people are out to get you intentionally or unintentionally. And as a tenured professor now, I can say things. And that's what tenure does for me. It allows me that protection. That's what it's supposed to do. But I do worry about other people. If people come in with, with guns blazing, you know, there can be repercussions. And there's micropolitics, organizational politics to be aware of. So before, when I, before I stop and say, well, this is what needs to be done. This is what I think needs to be done and I want to see happen. But I'm also mindful that you better be careful because there are folks out to get you. Uh, and, and it sounds bad, but that's the reality of where some folks are at and, and how some organizations work. Can I, can I add two, uh, two things? Um, yeah, so because he mentioned two things. Um, when I say I'm not a feminist, is because, yeah, you have to defend women, but maybe I'm naive, but what I'm trying to express with that is you have to hire or you have to fight for the best. If the best is a man for that position, if the best fit is a man, it's right. It's, I mean, it's fine. Um, but what if the best is a woman? That's what I'm saying. I'm not a feminist. I don't want to, to express you have to hire a woman just because they are a woman. Uh, I'm also going to advocate for, I, I'm going to support what's the best fit. And, but include a woman if it's a woman. That's, that's the first thing. And to, the other thing that I want to add, you mentioned is, okay, what do we do? So I don't know who's going to listen or watch this podcast, but at any level, you can do something. Because if you are working in an organization and there is one female strength coach, like you were saying, like try to feel the empathy or put empathy on that and support her. And maybe 
you give the opportunity to a woman, it wasn't the right fit, and that woman that it doesn't continue in the job or in that position anymore. It's fine if it's not the right fit, but we need to give more opp- opportunities at the beginning. People need to fail, um, not, not needs to fail, but might fail. Um, uh, that's what I wanted to say. Whatever the level is, maybe we don't have all the GMs and front office people listening, that people that hires people, uh, but maybe you have a colleague or maybe you, you're going to hire somebody one day. So it's about what can you do? You can do whatever at the level that you are in the position that you are to support uh, people like us. Um, and then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least you can try. Just go, Brian. There actually is some research too on like, you know, bias in the workplace and, and screening for applicants. And we do know that there's um, discrimination that happens at people with the same resume, right? Because trying to figure out who the best is, is hard, right? Like, and it's a more qualitative thing, right? Like. It, it's, it's, it's hard to quantify. And the universities will try to do this to evaluate professors. And we do it in a weight room, right? Like, oh, well, you're 500 pound squats better than 495. You're the best. But it doesn't mean you're, you're the best athlete in that case. It just means you're the best squatter, right? Yeah. So the same thing, like trying to figure out, well, who really is the best coach in something that's so multifaceted is a, is a really hard thing. And we know, though, that, right, if you have an, uh, a black sounding name or a Latinx sounding name, with a similar, very similar resume, you're going to go to the bottom or not to the top of the pile. I'm actually interested. I would love to replicate that in, in sport uh, in sport science uh, and sport coaching. Uh, but we don't, and those folks that get fired, like Ryan said, they don't get rehired as quickly. And you look at the NFL as a, as a example of that, right? That when there are many fewer black coaches and they don't get rehired, they get fired quicker and they don't get rehired in the same positions as quickly. So it's kind of, well, we gave it a shot, that didn't work, so you know, out they go. Um, and so in that sense too, how can you, you know, the Rooney rule, and there's other, so that's an NFL rule about at least interviewing uh, one uh, person of color for a candidate, or as a candidate for a job. But things like that, right, in your uh, organizational processes, how aggressive are you in recruiting and retaining and supporting traditionally underrepresented groups, you know, and so that way we can kind of be uh, feminist and, you know, anti-racist, et cetera, and, and really be committed to this by really recruiting. And, and then we start to get into like crazy arguments too about like, you know, well, that's reverse racism. Like that stuff is just, it gets reactionary, but that's not a well thought out response. Um, that's not, you, you, you create these things to, address years of inequality and the idea that now somehow it's going to harm an entire group of people by having these um, policies and practices is not a great argument as well as then it still doesn't fundamentally address the actual issue that when you are a white male in power in general, right? And you have more money and wealth and accumulate wealth, if you're really interested in fairness and equality, you do at times have to give up some of that power. And at the end of the day, a lot of folks don't want to do that. And, and to go back to, again, one of the things too, that, that why the players are different nowadays, professional athletes, they have much greater economic and social capital than they ever have had before, right? The, the owners used to collect all the money and the players, you know, they, they didn't have a voice. Nowadays, they do have a voice and they're using it much more 
than ever before. And they're speaking for themselves and advocating for themselves. And activism is back. And it really rubs a lot of people the wrong way, too, because they would rather they just shut up and dribble. And it's absolute garbage uh, that they make those arguments because it doesn't reflect any of the last, uh, you know, almost hour that we've been talking about the, the inequality and the, and the problems that have existed for years and how they manifest. You know, um, I'd like Lorena said something that like, yeah, I, I heard it and I was like, oh, you know, that idea. And I've seen it. I've had this discussion. We'll call it a discussion on social media um, where someone had mentioned, oh, but sometimes we'll put a woman on the panel and it's just a token and she contributes none to the to the conversation. And I go to that. Well, maybe she didn't. But if I got a dollar for every time a man never contributed to a conversation and we didn't make a conclusion about an entire half of the world based on an N equals one, I wouldn't be here coaching because I would be Belinda Gates. I would be absolutely rolling in money. And so that's like one of the small things that I think people can reflect about the language they hear and the conclusions they hear and call people out on that when they're like, oh, well, you know, we had this speaker once and she wasn't very good. So, you know, it's just not, whoa, I see people all the time that are dog shits breakfast at their job, <laughs> but I do not conclude that the entire people that happen to maybe look like them are also bad at their job. But it happens a lot, particularly for women in strength conditioning. And you know how much weight that is? You know why women don't volunteer to talk? Because not only are you volunteering to talk, but you are volunteering to be the poster child for every woman in strength and conditioning all across the world. And if you mess it up, it's your fault. It's your fault. You didn't give the best talk ever known that was like the equivalent of God coming down and writing the Ten Commandments. And so therefore women are not good at speaking or strength and conditioning, by the way. Because now, apparently, our ability to speak is equivocal for our ability to coach, which also gets equated. And, you know, it's just really infuriating. And I see it all the time. And the reason I talk so damn much and do so many talks is not because I find it really enjoyable. It's exhausting. I'm tired. I got to make new content all the time. It always has to be stellar to make sure that I don't let go, let down like every other woman ever known to man that wants to maybe be a strength conditioning coach in the future now and forever. But I do it because I happen to realize that I'm good at speaking and it, it, it's good for our community. It's good for us. And so I go, okay, well, I just put my backpack of kilos on my back because I'm wearing the weight of the world on my shoulders because I really want everybody else to have a chance. But that is that small thing. If someone needs a little experience and they're not the greatest up there, then we judge not just that person forever, which is why people don't get rehired because we judge them forever for their transgression once. But then we judge Everybody else that happens to maybe look like they come from the same group. And man, that's so tiring. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And people need to start checking themselves when they do that themselves and when they see other people do it. And then 
that, that will be the slow groundswell that starts to change an organization instead of fixing me to become a better speaker. Why don't you just check and realize that maybe you were just judging one person and then a whole group as a result. I don't even know where that came from, but oh yeah, it was because Lorena said so that, that one thing. <laughs> that one thing, my mind went whoosh, a little bit. <laughs> and it's totally true, it's exhausting. <laughs> I, said, I said I'd keep you all for an hour, so I'll, I'll try my best. I know we've gone past an hour, so that's, that's gone, but just to keep it as close as possible. But I'd like to come around to, to each one of you, and it just may be a replication of things that have been said already, but it'd be nice to kind of Put it in a, in a little box and um, and put it together in terms of the in terms of the content that goes out. Longer term aims and and shorter term aims. What what can what can we do? What's the way forward? Um, yeah, I suppose that's 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 my question. I'll come back to Sophia. What what can we do in the in the shorter term? And what should we aim for in the longer term um, f- to 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 sort this issue? Yeah, you know, I I knew you were going to come to me, and I thought about it. Sorry. I thought about it, and I went, I've already done my time. I I didn't make this system. Why do you keep asking me how to fix it? So, I don't know. Rob, Brian, what do you think we should do? Because I sure as hell didn't make it. I'm serious. I'm going to... I don't want... I know, I know I, you are. I know you are. I know you are. You keep staring at me. <laughs> I don't want to answer it anymore. Cause, That's fine. Because, like... Yeah, of course. When I came out the womb and I happened to be, you know, I, they they ticked my box and I was female and then I lived and now I'm 40 and, you know, I've done my contribution and I've had to live in the system. So I don't want to fix the system too. Damn, I already got a day job. So, yeah, I want to know, you know, from the people that do have a little, I have power in my position. It feels real good. I could understand why people don't want to give up. Being a professor, I can say this. And um, I'm more outspoken in the six months since I got professor than I have been in my whole life. And um, I think if I were going to say one thing, I'll give you I'll give you my one answer is we do need to get more women in positions that do hire people because the research definitively says in the sport research as well that immediately when you have no for example I'm sorry we do a lot of research in the US in the NCAA system but when you have zero ADs that's athletic directors only 30% of the coaching staff are women and when you just have one, it goes up to like 40%. Oh, no. When you just have one woman on the executive team, it goes up to 40 And then it raises again when you finally have one athletic director that's a woman. So, yes, we'll go ahead and do our things and we'll speak and we'll be us. But we need the organizations to realize that they can't fix it in their current, in the current way they're doing it. And it requires women to be in positions to reflect and, 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 and have power to actually have some decision making on, on who's being hired. And um, then some of the other things I think we've already um, we've already talked about, so I don't want to go on, but. Go. I would talk. I'm going to come to you. Oh, oh you were going with Brian? 
No, 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 no. Don't, don't make me have the last word. Don't make me have the last word. I, I just want to echo that. Like, we need people, again, support, like, that has the power to hire people and make decisions to support uh, support equality, whatever that equality means. Women, uh, Afro-American, like, uh, having people hiring different profiles, good profiles, good professionals. So I want to echo that. And for the short term, what I would say is if you're a woman in the strength and conditioning or sports science field and you're listening, just keep trying to do your best every day. That's the only thing that you can control. So just keep working, uh, trying your best. Uh, you're going to have to go through things and listen to things that probably your male peers don't, won't go through. But the only thing that you can control is just keep going and move forward and fight for the things that you want to fight for. I'm not going to give you the last word, Brian. I'm going yeah, to come to you now, but I'm going to go around uh, to Sophia and Lorena for, for contact details and stuff. So don't worry about that. I know you sat there with <laughs> uh, here, So here's the one thing, as I secretly put in three. Uh, we'll put a, a plug in for we, we'll put a plug in for the Tucker Center at the University of Minnesota. Uh, and there's others too in the UK. It would be um, Dr. Leanne Norman. It just opened up. I don't forgive me. I don't know the name of it. Literally, she just got like an appointment to do a a new research center over there. Um, and uh, but that uh, this is the sort of thing too. So we, the Tucker Center uh, for Girls, Women, and Sports at the University of Minnesota uh, with uh, Dr. Mary Jo Kane, Nicole Lavoy, Dr. Lavoy, others. Uh, they've been doing this work for years uh, and and do a fantastic job. The resources they have on the website are excellent. They're very uh, reader friendly. You can follow them in a variety of ways. Um, they have academic work as well as kind of more lay or trade work. Um, there's also a group called We Coach. Um, there's a variety of just not only women's organizations, but then there's other organizations too. And it's not, again, like just a women's thing. It means I am a coach. I'm an informed, intelligent coach. I care about these issues. They're important. So I'm going to study them just like I would study you know, the X's and the O's or, you know, reps and sets, wherever you're coming from, or the mindset, okay? And we could, we could, we could you know, talk about mindset and other things that are, uh, don't explore diversity and, and uh, other issues, inter intersectional issues in psychology, but I digress. Um, I, would, I would look at that work and think about uh, challenging people to try to do one thing too, right? Like read something about that. Uh, and then commit to trying to change an action on, in yourself, in your group, in your organization, a committee, somewhere, ask a question. You, know, you have to be careful, but maybe you ask a question, um, you bring up a topic for discussion. Uh, if you're able to, maybe you do a research study, you support some funding for a minority scholarship, and that's your way of kind of subtly bringing it up. You know, So you can find ways to do this work uh, overtly or covertly, depending on your situation. Um, so you can start to change interpersonally, intrapersonally, you change yourself, change your interactions with others, change larger social structures, and then re remain open and curious. This cannot be a, a thing for here and now. You have to remain open to difference of thought, looking at a variety, vast scope of research, uh, and tying it into your everyday practice and seeing how this makes sense and being curious to understand more. Sometimes, right, you know, I, and I've been trying to at times is let me try to understand more uh, before I interject and uh, jump to action. 
let me try to listen and really respond to people's needs and what they're saying uh, and what a broader, deeper perspective uh, and understanding really means. Yeah. Where can people read more of your work, Brian? Get in touch, have a chat, not send um, un unatted images of your page in your book. <laughs> Please, all uh, promotion is good promotion. So please, just if you if you throw in shade, just make sure you at me. Uh, so yeah, I've got a couple books out. Hell, we well we've got the one book right, the Coach Education Development of Sport book. And I'll tell you something, you know, how do I model this in this book? Right, and this isn't a promotion. I'm, I'll make about twelve dollars of selling an academic book. Okay, I haven't gotten a royalty check yet, but like. We're not going to make a lot of money selling this book. It's not a plug, okay? If I want to be, I do a fancy podcast like you if I want to make money. <laughs> but like in, the, in this book, right? Like we did this book on instructional strategies. So there's case study, project-based learning. This is a great book to learn how to teach, uh, you know, coaches and anybody else. But we intentionally have a section, entire five, six chapters in this book about teaching traditionally underrepresented groups. So we intentionally put in there uh, inclusive coach development strategies, we call it. Right? Uh, about women coaching or educating women coaches and men coaches, um, Special Olympics, Paralympics, you know, white privilege. And that's where I've been taking slack, right? I wrote the first chapter uh, on, on white privilege in sport coaching education because we don't talk about it enough and it exists. And again, I, I wrote it. I love it. I would love when people engage. I'm always like, did you, did you read it? What did you think? Did you read it? What part of it don't you agree with and why? Right? And give me not just your opinion or your personal experience, but maybe a broader perspective too, a broader, deeper perspective. And when you start that, and I try to be thoughtful, and if I'm not, I'll go back and make revisions. You're great. So anyway, we got that book. We asked me where the hell it reached me at, they, you know, sidecore. Um, that book, and then we've got a – we just published, and I haven't even promoted it yet because it's just, it's just a time to be quiet. Like the past month in the U.S. is a time to shut up for me, right? And I haven't – if you look at my social media, I'm at, I'm at Dr. Garrity. By the way, it's at Dr. Garrity on – Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. But if you look at my social media the last couple of weeks, I've been very quiet because I'm, I'm stopping to pause. I'm stressed. I'm thinking, you know, I'm busy with other things. And I, I just, as a program, you know, we've been uh, putting out a lot of support uh, for resources for support, but I've just needed to take a, a, a little break. You know, I'll come back with a vision shortly. Um, but yeah, we published this book on the biopsychosocial aspects of strength conditioning. So it's, it's, it's a first book by Rutledge, it, uh, co-authored by uh, Tanya Cassidy, Phil Hancock, and Lizette Burroughs down in New Zealand. And in this book, we talk about some of these things that we're talking about here. We explore a variety of more sociocultural, pedagogical uh, theory and research and how we see that playing out in strength conditioning. So we've, we're trying to build materials to support people and curriculums and eventually write the large organizations that they work in. So we constantly have to remind ourselves that, you know, we're not in an ivory tower. That's nonsense. Uh, I influence and I try to educate working coaches every day. And that's what our program does. And we create our scholarship. Our scholarship and our research doesn't, you know, just float off into abyss. Yeah, there's a lot of it, but people engage in it. You got jobs of sports scientists and this is what they do. They're not just sitting there like, you know, playing with their Bunsen burner. They're looking at research. They're, they're collecting evidence, doing this sort of thing. It's applied science. So it's the same way, you know, all right, there you go. At Dr. Garrity. 
<laughs> Over to you, Sophia. Yep. So um, you can find me at DocSoph on Instagram, Facebook, and um, that other one, Twitter. Um, same thing for website if you want to reach me through that, and, and you can directly um, access me through that. Um, and it was, um, you know, really, really interesting, and I, I'm – I'm grateful that we've had the opportunity to have this platform and also to have these different voices um, together. I've never had the chance to actually speak face-to-face to Lorena, and I've, I've spoken to, to Brian, but we've never had the opportunity to banter like this. And I hope people listen. So if you're still listening now, um, take it all in and um, continue listening. And I guess my one take-home is if you have never had a conversation with a female coach and you happen to be a male coach, please, after you've listened to this, find someone. I'm sure she'll give you her time because we're used to that, by the way. And, uh, and um, ask, ask her a couple questions and, and, and some of the things are gonna be hard to hear, I'm sure, and say nothing except, I heard you and thank you. I don't need you to be angry for me. The only thing I get to own is my own rage. So don't don't go off getting angry for me. Speak calmly to others about this because I'm I'm angry for all of us and that's the one thing I get to keep and own. But speak to some people that are different than you normally talk to and just listen. And that's it. Thank you. Brilliant. Lorena. Yeah, I'm not big time social media. I only have Twitter. That's my thing. Um, Lorena Torres 07. Uh, that's the only platform that I use when I use it. Um, that's how where you can find me. Uh, brilliant comments from my colleagues today. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me here today. Um, it was a pleasure. Thank you all. It's yeah, definitely echo Brian's comments, especially in this forum in particular, of just sitting back and saying as little as possible just to listen. So yeah, thank you all for, for coming on, giving up your time, getting up early, Brian, interrupting your evening, Sophia, and um, moving things around, Lorena. So thank you very much to you all for coming on. Thank Thanks you. For, Thanks for Thanks for tuning in to episode 302 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Brian, Sophia and Lorena. And big thanks to these three guys, and in particular Sophia and Lorena, for being so open with their experiences of being a female in strength and conditioning. So, so insightful and and scary, if I'm honest. Uh, I knew this, these kind of things happen, but when you actually hear it from someone you know and have, speak, uh, have spoken to previously, that's a real shock for, for, for me personally anyway to, to hear them kind of things so really appreciate their honesty throughout the last hour and a half on this episode so also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics I Measure You Athlete Monitoring and Omega Wave for sponsoring this episode today the podcast could not run its current form without these guys so as always I appreciate their support so next week we've got uh, back to the regular scheduled programming so to speak with a a one-on-one interview so um hope you enjoyed this episode and i will speak to you next week